Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We have been in a series on foundations, and we're going to continue to do that. But I want to kind of take a pause or maybe take a little detour and look at the foundation of fathering because this is Father's Day. And in this hour of human history, uh, it is perhaps the biggest challenge fathers have ever had in, the, in American history because every sacred institution is under attack. It's being questioned. It's being challenged. Even the institution of fatherhood. And uh, so we really need the wisdom of God to father well. Now, let me, let me just give a disclaimer. Some of the, the uh, criticisms against fatherhood and so forth have been brought on by our own failures and our, ourselves. That, that's a given. And so we don't want to brush over human failure. But the fact is, fatherhood was God's idea. Fatherhood was his grand plan. And so we want to look at the whole idea of fatherhood and uh, how God wants to use that. We'll see where we'll end up. So let's pray, okay? Father, we thank you this morning. I bless every male in this room. Lord, we thank you for masculinity, for manhood, and we thank you for femininity and womanhood. Lord, we bless them both. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand the mysteries of the clear distinction between gender roles. Lord, we ask that you would help us to embrace the gift of manhood and womanhood for what they are. And Lord, I ask that you give us great understanding so that we can guard these sacred roles that are actually expressions of your character and your nature. Lord, let them be celebrated here. And Lord, those that have been wounded by misuse of those roles, Lord, we ask that you would heal them, even this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to just read, I'm going to, I'm going to do something I don't often do, I'm going to read through things and I'll preach from my notes. Uh, fatherhood is not a biological coincidence as evolution would propose. Nor is the role dads occupy within the family a construct of some patriarchal conspiracy, an attempt by men to keep the power, as many socialists, a sociologists would surmise. So there are those that say that fatherhood is just a, a cultural construct. It's we've created this so that men could stay in control. And often that conclusion was derived out of woundedness because people have been wounded by their dads and those father wounds have caused them to question even self-evident truths of what men and women really are. And we wanna be compassionate. We wanna be, we wanna be those who bring healing and not, we, we don't wanna be those who would make fun of those in their struggle just because we don't understand their struggle. You understand what I'm saying? It's very important that we are those who would bless and not curse, that we would come alongside woundedness and confusion. We don't have the luxury of sitting back and, and making jokes about people and their woundedness. But equally important is that, that we need to hold the line on biblical truth of what masculinity and femininity is. 
And so the role dads occupy within the family is not a construct of patriarchal conspiracy. It's not men just trying to hold on to a power base. In fact, fatherhood is a product of divine intentionality. It was carefully designed by God himself. Fatherhood itself emanates from God. We need to understand this this morning. That the whole concept, the role of a father, actually emanates from God's nature. The idea of fatherhood, the creation of the term, was God creating a term to express who he really is. Okay? It wasn't a term that he, he jumped and said, okay, I want to figure out a way I can relate with them. So I'm going to take on a role that they already have in place. God was the original father. So Paul tells us all fatherhood derives its name, its identity from God. Ephesians chapter 3, in the great apostolic prayer there at the end of chapter 3, Paul begins the prayer. It's a wonderful, wonderful prayer, and it really does uh, speak to what we're talking about this morning. I don't know that we'll get into the whole passage, but verse 14 and 15 says this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, and then he goes on in verse 15, from whom every family, depending on the translation you read, every family, some translation, all fatherhood. And it's because the, the root word is the same. Family comes from father. And so this idea of all fatherhood and all family derives its name and its identity from God himself. So it says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family or all fatherhood in heaven and on earth derives its name. And then he goes into praying about us seeing the love of God, being impacted by the love of God so that the love of God would change our identity, change how we see ourselves, that it would seep down to our root system and when we see ourselves, we would see ourselves as loved. It's not a coincidence that Paul starts this prayer not just praying to the Father, but bringing up the subject of fatherhood and family. Because often, our inability to receive love is because of a lack of fatherhood and dysfunctional family, and God's solution to cure the human ill of not being able to receive love. Paul, David said, God puts the lonely in families. He gives us fathers and mothers in the faith. People that will come alongside and reparent us in a sense. Discipleship is largely reparenting us. Bringing us up to speed in the faith and, and dealing with those wounds so that we can be whole and we can have something to give to our, the next generation. And so it's an interesting thing when Paul prays this, he says, I pray to the Father from whom all fatherhood derives its name. So from that we know that God is the original. We're the copy. We as fathers are an expression of who he is. We flow from him. God does not use the term to simply relate with us. He created the idea to accurately express who he is. He then in turn lends the term in us to us in order to define our role. I want you to catch that. God was the original father. He wants to, us to see who he really is. And then this astounding thing, men, God will lend his ultimate title to you and thereby defines your role as a father. 
You cannot understand God if you don't understand fatherhood. The ultimate identity of that first person of the Trinity is that he is a father. It's not a coincidence that the nature of God himself is there's a father who has a son who sends a spirit. And this mystery, this Trinitarian God, it's the divine family is the Trinitarian God. A father and a son. That is the foundation of all reality. And it's a picture for you and I. And you, uh, Jesus came not only to reconcile us to the Father, but to model that role of a father and a son. Jesus said, I don't do anything except what the Father tells me and what I see the Father doing. I only say what I see, hear the Father saying. And so there's this love relationship. The Father honored the Son. The Son honored the Father. Jesus said, if you accept me, you accept the one who sent me. There was this, this intimacy between a father and a son. And that divine family is a picture of what the church is to be. And it's a picture of what the family is to be. So we need to realize that all of creation emanates from God. Just as an artist's creation is an expression of themselves and therefore gives insight into their true identity, you can learn about artists by studying their art. You can get insight into a songwriter by listening to their songs. And you can learn about God by looking at his creation. Romans 1 says that all of creation declares the glory of God and gives indications of his nature and his character. And so creation itself reveals God's nature and character. Fatherhood is one such expression revealing who God is. It's the foundation of who he is. Without this understanding of God as father, man, man cannot understand him. His fatherhood is not a side issue. It is central to his nature and character. The central fixture of the gospel, the cross, does not make sense apart from his fatherhood. The sacrifice of Calvary cannot be comprehended apart from the father-to-son relationship. For God so loved, the measure of his love was that a father gave a son. You can't understand the magnitude of the sacrifice without understanding that there was a father who gave his son and there was a son who willingly came to please his father. And it's this beautiful picture of redemption. So our human roles are reflections of the divine, hints of the eternal order, faded expressions of the original that is God. He is not taking on our roles in an ill-fitted attempt to relate with us. The essence of who he is is a father. We human fathers are mere reflections. He is the reality. We have been assigned these roles as his created sons. God did not invent the role of father for us. It is his nature. Instead, he shared it with us, created us in his image, and then invited us to come up higher to be like him as dads. One of the greatest ways you can be like God is having children and doing it right. Matter of fact, scripture says that we're being conformed into the image of his dear son, into the image of Jesus, but Jesus is the exact, exact representation of the Godhead in bodily form. So the father, the son is like the father, and we're to be conformed to the son and become, therefore, thereby become like the father. 
one of the primary ways in which God shapes you into his character is giving you kids. Let me just let that settle for a moment. We all ooh and ah over these adorable little pictures, but they got to... They got to get up in the middle of the night and change those little ankle biters, you know. They, uh, they got to deal with the kids. And uh, having kids is an amazing thing, but it is a taxing thing. I've often said that uh, before I got married, I was a very patient person. I didn't have an anger problem. I was a man of character and a man of real love. I exemplified Jesus. I was in full-time ministry. I worked at Teen Challenge. And I would minister for eight to ten hours a day and usually kept my cool and I was a very loving person because after work I would go upstairs close my door lock it and it was all about me <laughs> I was very godly you know I didn't I didn't get frustrated when I was home at night I didn't get irritated when I was home at night everybody in my household got along And then I got married. Really, I do remember getting married and thought, this is awesome. But there were times. <laughs> because I would minister all day long. And then I would come home, close the door, lock it, and turn around. And <gasps> it's about her now. And we usually got along, but there were times. God was using her to put a demand on me. Uh, the Lord did speak to me, not not very far before our wedding and he said Kathy will be the finger I'm glad she I don't know where she went but she's not in here so I can talk freely let's get this done before she comes back he said Kathy will be the finger with which I probe your heart and I remember thinking wow that's not what I had in mind you know I, I that that wasn't the romantic ideal that I was dreaming of but it was very accurate God used her because there were things in my heart, areas of selfishness that I was unaware of. It wasn't that I didn't surrender them. I didn't even know they were there. It was like there were whole wings of my household in my heart, of the house of my heart that were sealed off and were, had ticker tape waiting for marriage. And when she came into my life, she tore that off and moved in and started moving things around and bumping into the walls and she restructured my life. And that was good for me. And here is the, the infinite wisdom of God. If you do it his way, if you follow his path and his wisdom, he gives you a spouse before he gives you children through that spouse. And what he starts with your spouse in forming you into God's nature, he will continue at a greater degree through your children. Because at least your wife, you can reason with her. Man, that is your opportunity to get a, get a big point. Say, amen, my wife's very reasonable. Amen, amen. You can reason with her. But children, man, you can't reason with them. They're, they're, they're just a little crying bundle of cuteness that in the middle of the night doesn't seem so cute. And so children really are a way that God gets at things in our life. But more so than that, he's calling that sacrificial love out of us for us to invest in someone else. And we are never more like God than we, when we are giving and sacrificing and investing in other people. That is when that divine nature stamped upon us begins to be expressed. 
And it's a beautiful thing when God does that through a family where we lay down our life for our children. However, even though our fatherhood is an expression of him, and he's the original, through the fall, fatherhood has been twisted, distorting the real and original through sin. When trying to define fatherhood, therefore, we must not begin with man as our reference point. And a lot of believers struggle in their walk with God because they do. When defining fatherhood, they start with the frail attempts of their biological dad. When we do this, we reduce the concept of a father to those frail attempts, and we then turn around and superimpose those failures and deficiencies upon our Heavenly Father. This drives us to the faulty presupposition that God will fail us like our earthly fathers did. And it's no secret that a lot of believers struggle with father wounds and father issues. Even when you've been raised by a really good dad. My dad is a phenomenal man, but I had some things to work through because my dad had some things to work through. And he didn't get them all worked through. And neither did I. So my kids are going to have things to work through. My, uh, my dad and two other bro- my two brothers, all the four boys in the family, went up to Duluth, Minnesota two weeks ago. And uh, we hadn't done that. I don't think we've ever done a road trip, just the four of us together. If it was, it, it was 40 years ago at least. And uh, we had a great time. Other than the snoring, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is with other guys in my family. They snore. Of course, I don't. But uh, it, uh, my goodness. But anyway, we had a really, really good time. And so we went to the different sites of our childhood. And we drove out to the family homestead where I was born. And my dad was born there. And, and uh, just hearing my dad's story, that was where his mother died. She had, was taking something out of the stove and went up in flames and ran out in the backyard, and, and uh, I didn't realize that that was the same home I was born in, and so just connecting a lot of dots, and being at those places with my dad, and just, he showed me, he was 15 years old, and uh, he left home, and went, he's walking around Duluth thinking, where am I going to stay, and ended up at this flop house by a one-legged woman that gave drunks a, a place to stay, and, and uh, but he got radically saved at 15, and this church took him in. And my dad would hitchhike for 30, 40 miles just to get to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And I said, Dad, you, were, you really got saved. He said, it was all I had. That was the only family I had. You see, that is the nature of the kingdom. God sets the lonely in families. The family of God is to scoop us up and help us continue in our maturing process so that we become all God intended for us to be. That's the way it's supposed to work. But it's so good just to be there with my dad and, and my brothers and see all those sights and just process. And, and I, I couldn't help but I was so struck. We, we went to the church I was raised in. There was a church up in Duluth called Calvary Temple. Uh, the original site is now a gay bar, but they bought an old Methodist church. And 
Uh, it had been closed down for years, so we, we drove by just to see it, and there was a light on inside, and we pulled in, and so I said, I'm just going to go up, and I stood before the plate glass window, and a guy looked out, came over, can I help you? And I said, well, I was raised in this church. He said, come on in. They had just reopened it four months ago. We ended up praying over the pastor, prophesying over him, and he said, we need to have you back to do a revival. I said, that'd be awesome. <laughs> it was a neat old church. I mean, these huge, I mean, the the huge arches inside it there it would cost it, there's no way you could build an old building like that now it's amazing but all the memories in that room and i couldn't help but think where my mom and dad came from just the tragedies in their their lives just the the twisted dysfunction and sin and molestations and drunkenness and violence and suicide and all that in those family lines and and all of that continued and my mom and dad got saved and they met at as a seven, 15 and 17 year old young man and woman in bible school both quit didn't didn't get their high school diploma they just went to bible school and they met each other there and they had all this stuff in their background and then I look at what God's done in our family and what he's gonna keep on doing. And it was such a vivid picture to me how all God needs is one little foot in the door. Where if he can get one salvation in a family, he can turn the destiny of that entire family. And that's, that's true for all of us. That, Many of you have a similar story. I know I've, I've, we've sat down, some of us, and talked, and it, it is an amazing thing. And, and every now and then, we need to look back at our family line and just stand in awe of what the Lord has done. That is how God works. I was talk, uh, called Dean Briggs this week. We're, there was some things we wanted to talk about, and we got to talking about this concept of kinsman-redeemer. Man, it so gripped my heart. I never saw that phrase like I see it this morning. A kinsman, redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman, redeemer. A kinsman, redeemer was a relative that was related to a deceased family member. And if you look, it's also called leveret marriage. There's there, if a man, matter of fact, there's, if you really get technical and drill down on this thing, it's, it sounds like a strange practice, but you need to understand the spiritual implications behind this thing. If a man was married and had not yet produced a child with his wife, especially a son, and he died, then it was incumbent upon a brother who lived in the same region, if he lived on the same land in the same area, he was to take his deceased brother's wife as his own wife, because they had multiple wives back then, and he was to produce a son for his brother's name. And then it says this, so that his name would not die in Israel. Now catch that. There was a concern from God's perspective that the legacy of this man who had been prematurely taken out would continue. God was concerned about his legacy. God was concerned that his name and his lineage would continue and that land would remain in the family. And he wanted it to continue through the family that this, the, the woman 
betrothed her heart to a young man at one point, and he was lost so that the child would share that same lineage that, of the, the, the family to which she betrothed her heart. And the picture was called a kinsman redeemer. The whole story of Ruth was Ruth was taken by Boaz. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. He took off his shoe and presented it, and that's how they made the deal, put his shoe out. And it was a picture of, I'm going to be your servant and the servant of your deceased husband. I'm the closest relative. I really do, I am concerned that you are provided for as a woman and that the name of the man that you were betrothed to, that you gave your heart to, I'm concerned for his legacy. And I will give myself to you as a husband if you want my hand in marriage. And it was a beautiful thing. And, and a, a relative that refused to do that, his shoe was torn off his foot. And he was shamed. And that shame would be born. And the reason a man would be hesitant to do so was because he was in line to inherit that land. But now he wouldn't be able to inherit it. That, lot, that land would go to a son that wouldn't be attributed to his family line. And he was investing his seed into the lineage of another brother and not his own. A modern day example of that would be a pastor who was unwilling to help a church across town. We're not going to invest anything in that church because that's not our church. That's not our movement. That's not our thing. We're only going to invest in our thing. And that principle in the Old Testament shows what a shame that is. That God wants us to be willing to invest in other people, even if it, it doesn't bear our name. You, you following me? And so that, all of that was a picture of the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. And he came to redeem our family legacy as a kinsman redeemer. He really does want to redeem your story and your family's story. I was thinking about this this morning. Well, let me, let me read you a couple things and then share a passage with you. It just broke me this morning. Earthly fatherhood was intended to aid us in our relationship with the Heavenly Father, showing us the way to Him, how to relate with God as Father, how to see ourselves as sons, as men of God, etc. Now, due to the fall, fatherhood has all too often become a hindrance. This is why it is crucial for us as fathers to even exemplify what it, is to, what it is to be an imperfect son to a perfect father. What do I mean by that? That when you fail as a father, humble yourselves and show your children how you reconcile yourself to God. Own your failure and show them that you can remain in fellowship with your heavenly father even in the midst of your failure. Don't hide your weaknesses from your kids. Own them. Because that in and of itself is a discipleship lesson on how a man of God can walk. And what you're doing is you're, you're passing them off, so to speak, the baton of fatherhood. You're teaching them, I can only take you so far because I too need a redeemer and I'm gonna pass you off to the ultimate father. And when I fail, this is how I relate with him. And it's important for our kids to know that. It's important for our kids to see that emulated. It's important for us as leaders, gentlemen and women, that we model how to walk through our weaknesses and our failures before others, not cover those things up. Because that is a discipling opportunity. Not one we seek, not one that's fun, 
but it is an opportunity. I hope that makes sense. We must own our failures, showing our children how God fathers us in those moments. In this, we usher them to the ultimate father rather than, rather than blocking the door from him or blocking the door to him in our kids' minds. I meet them all the time, people who are embittered by parents who said they were believers but behind closed doors didn't live it. Now don't let some frail human attempt keep you from the perfect father. But in the same token, fathers and mothers, let's own our weaknesses and humble ourselves with our kids. There's a beautiful verse in Thessalonians that says, in, how does it put it? In, in malice be ye children. What it's saying is that in anger, be like a little kid. You know, kids are willing to forgive like that if you'll humble yourself and just take responsibility for it. But if you refuse to do so, you will embitter the hearts of your kids. When we start with God, when we think of fatherhood and when we start with God, we then have the proper lens through which to interpret what true fatherhood is. And it equips us to face the hardships of life. When we start with God, he redeems the phrase. But not only the phrase, he redeems the earthly relationship. We are then able to extend the grace to the broken sons our fathers were. We need to be reconciled to God, relate with him as the ultimate father. What I'm saying is this. I looked at my dad's life and my, my grandfather was an alcoholic. He was already in the grave but before he was my age. I, I looked at the graves of my family. My, my, my dad's mom died at 32. His dad died at 54. His sister died at 23. Another one, I think, lived to 46. And here my dad is on the threshold of 80. Healthy, still got a head of hair. Glory to God. It, uh, I mean, he's, he's still healthy. But it's redemption. He's walking in the ways of God. And God wants to redeem our family lines. And I, you know, my, my grandfather was an alcoholic and I think he had emphysema too and just a bunch of dysfunction. And my dad led him, his father to the Lord on his, right, right towards the end of his life. But largely his life was wasted even though he made it to heaven. But I believe that God redeems the legacy. And there were probably things my grandfather was supposed to do that had fallen to my father and to his sons and to his grandkids. Because there are calls on families that God, if we'll step into that and begin to walk in his ways, it's an amazing thing. I want to encourage you. You may have come from the... The definition, I mean, if you opened the dictionary and looked up dysfunction, maybe your family picture's right there as the example, okay? I'm telling you, if you will begin to walk in his ways, God will take your family from glory to glory. It is amazing what he can do in a generation. I look at my brother John. Uh, we were talking about this on the road trip. He's been walking with the Lord for 22 years. 22 years ago, probably 23 years ago, he was locked up in a psych ward. Didn't know if he'd ever get out. Had done so much meth. He, was, he, he told me that on the trip. He said, yeah, I was convinced that aliens were harvesting us, harvesting humans as cows and taking us back to their planet so they could eat us. 
And he was convinced, man. He called the police. He had his gun loaded, to which they thought, <laughs> uh, let's have the gun, and we're going to take you to a safe place. And he realized, man, he may end up spending the rest of his life there, and God got a hold of him. And now I look at, he's married to a school teacher. They've got this beautiful spread out in the country. He's, he's got numerous rental properties, and he's got this library. He always wants to talk theology, and I'm like, over my head. Come, bring it down a little bit, you know. Try to, it just, uh, it's amazing what the Lord has done. It's like he's restored the years the locust hath eaten. God can make up time in an individual life and in a family line if you'll surrender your life to him and begin to walk with him. It's an amazing thing. So let me give you an example of this. I love this. Second <laughs> Samuel verse 23, or chapter 23, verses one and two. This, these are, this is the final words of David. And so David's at the end of his life. He is Israel's greatest king, the zenith of their history. For centuries later, God would say, for the sake of David, for the sake of David. This man had captured God's heart. The kingdom came into its glory under David. He handed it off to his son, and it grew even more. But the high watermark of Israel's history was definitely the Davidic reign. And so what does David say in his last will and testament, his last words he prays out? Catch this. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse. The oracle of the man who was raised on high and anointed, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. David owns who he is. Listen to what he says. He says, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the oracle of a man of God. David knew who he was, but he includes his father's name in his last will and testament. David, who had accomplished so much, and he was, again, the high watermark in Israel's history. And then what does he do when he's attained so much recognition and so much glory as a man, has accomplished so much, he reaches back and grabs his dad's name and says, Dad, come up here and stand right next to me. I want to identify with you. Now, you've got to understand, this is a dad who hid his son when the great honor of a prophet a prophet said, I'm going to come to your home, and we're going to eat together. I want you to gather all your sons. And the prophet told him, gather all your sons. And Jesse left one son out on the back 40 to hide him from the man of God. Now, I believe it was because David was most likely the product of an indiscretion, an illegitimate relationship that he had, and Jesse is embarrassed. But David didn't have that relationship that he would have wanted with Jesse, or Jesse would have never hidden him. And you see little threads, little hints through David's writings. Things like, in sin I was conceived. And some people look at that, well, yeah, that's talking about, you know, general sin, we're all conceived in sin. We don't use it that way today. Why would David use it that way? I don't, I don't go around saying, yeah, when my mom and dad conceived me in sin. What a thing to say. They'd been married a couple years. 
David also penned in, I want to say it's Psalm 71, God sets the lonely in families, comma, he is a father to the fatherless. I believe one of David's secrets, one of the things that made David great, was that David had this father wound, but he didn't let it embitter him. He didn't take that vision of that twisted, disappointing relationship with his earthly father and project that on God and say, if that's the kind of person you are, if that's what a father is, I don't need you. What David did is he tied into God and he said, God, my dad is not able to be what I need him to be. So you've become a father to the fathers. When David penned that, it wasn't just some idea. It was revelation from God, from the Spirit of God, literally downloaded what became to us Scripture, the written Word of God. And it exploded in David's heart, and David realized, the Father in heaven wants to father me well. And he allowed the Lord to heal his broken heart. And what could have been the greatest weakness in David's life possibly became his greatest strength. David knew his God and did exploits. And the beautiful thing is, the dad who rejected him, the dad who rejected a son and didn't think he'd ever become anything, that son became the greatest man in Israel's history outside of Jesus, arguably. Some would say Moses. He was up there. The dad who rejected the son wasn't rejected by the son once he, once he arrived in fame. I just love that. That David, such a noble heart, that is being a kinsman redeemer. He redeemed the broken storyline of his family. He wasn't embarrassed. One thing I love about the word is it doesn't cover up the bad things. It's one of the reasons we know the Bible is the word of God. I remember years ago I heard about this wealthy family and there, there was an elderly man, that, the, the patriarch of the family, he was along in years, they were very wealthy, and uh, they wanted to do something for him on his birthday. He was you know, well into his 80s and they're saying, let's, let's do something for him and and uh, they came up with the idea, let's do a family history, because they, they, you know, they were well known, they'd had a lot of things going on in that family, and so they hired a famous author, and they were going to bind it in leather, emboss it, gold letter, you know, edging on the pages, and, and uh, so they met with the author, and they said, what are we going to do about Uncle Eddie? And he said, what do you mean, Uncle Eddie? They said, well, Uncle Eddie, he ended up in prison for murder, and died in the electric chair. And the author said, oh, we, we can handle that. This is what we'll say. Uncle Eddie occupied a seat of applied electronics in a high government institution. He was connected to his position with the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock. And then we'll just move on. And that tends to be how we deal with issues in our life. We kind of put a little spin on it. But the Bible doesn't do that. Because the mess is part of the message. The failure is part of the testimony. Because it's the, the stark contrast between the mess we make and what God makes out of it that is his story. It's a beautiful thing. 
And I just love how David doesn't disown his dad. He says, I am David. And he, he goes through a list. I'm the, I, I, I speak the oracles of God. David was a prophet. He was a precursor to Jesus. So much so that the Messiah was referred to as the son of David. <laughs> Mic drop. That's amazing. That God would refer to his own son as the son of a human father. And do it as a sense of pride. Saying, the son of David. It's an amazing thing. David talked about himself as the one whom God anointed. But he, the precursor to all that is David, the son of Jesse. And by that he reached down, picked up his dad and said, Dad, I'm redeeming this mess. You may have disowned me, but I will not disown you. I'm going to pull you up to this high status and have you stand next to me. And you get to ride the wave with me. That's a beautiful thing. I want to encourage you this morning. If your dad was less than he should have been, and the fact is, there's not a one of us here that can't say that, but we all know that there's some, some stories are more extreme than others. Be the kinsman redeemer. There's something about honoring your father and mother that will release an unlock locked up blessing. But if you hold on to that bitterness and you continue, uh, put it this way. Remember, remember Noah, when Noah got hammered? Remember that? He got drunk because all of a sudden grapes are fermenting and he got hammered. And one of his sons comes in, whoo-hoo, dad tied one on luck. Hey, guys, come in and look. And the other brothers backed in backwards with a blanket. Let's back in backwards and cover our father's nakedness. And if we will do that, if we will honor our fathers, don't become so consumed with what they weren't and the negative things they were that you miss even the littlest thing that they were that was good. Honor your father. If nothing else, honor him for that title. For it is the title of our father in heaven. And God ordained that. And you honor the position if you can honor the person. And when you do it, I'm telling you, it will unlock treasures. It will unlock destiny. It will unlock inheritance. Be the kinsman redeemer and unlock that land of inheritance back into that family line. Be like David. There's something about our relationship with our Heavenly Father, that if we understand it right, can also heal our relationship with our earthly father. Some of you, your dad's already gone. Some of you, I, I know stories. And there's dads who want nothing to do with their kids, and I don't understand that. And I can't imagine the pain of that. But I'm telling you, a dad can't give what he doesn't have. So give him mercy and give him grace. That doesn't mean what he's doing is okay, but give him mercy and give him grace. And what he doesn't have, you can get from him and you can actually pump it back into the family line down through history and honor them and thereby become the kinsman redeemer and fill in the gap and release blessing on your family. I want us to do something this morning. I'm gonna ask... Every dad, 
Now some of you are like, oh no, I hate when pastors do this. If you are extremely uncomfortable with it, then you can stay where you're at. I'm gonna have everybody stand. But I want every dad and everyone that wants to be a dad <laughs> to step up in here, up, up at the front. Come on up here, guys. If you're a dad or you have plans on being one, if that's what you desire, we want to bless you. I mean, you might be eight years old and you're saying, yeah, I want to be a dad someday. Get up here. Come on. Start early. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, ladies. I want you to get behind the men. I want you to stand behind them. Get, come on up here. Let's stand behind them. We want to bless these men. Father, Lord, we're asking God that there would be a revival of fatherhood. Lord, that there would be a revival of fatherhood. Lord, that we would be an avenue for your fatherhood to manifest in the earth today. Lord, that you would use us. God, that we would be a blessing to our children and to other people's broken children. Lord, I ask that you would grace us with wisdom, sensitivity. Lord, help us to discern what to make a big deal out of and what not to. God, give us that wisdom. And Lord, we bless these men. Father, let us be worthy of the title, Father. We thank you for it, Lord. Ladies, just pray for these men right now. Just, just begin to pray for them. Pray for them out loud. Father, we thank you for these men. Lord, we're asking God that you would grace them. And Lord, I pray, Lord, if, if there are those that are standing here this morning and they're, they're feeling deep regret and conviction over their failures, their, a burst of anger, things said, Lord, I ask God that you would both use it to cure us from ever doing it again, but God, give us grace not to fall under condemnation. Lord, we know that there's forgiveness and we thank you for that, but God, we want to come up higher. Lord, we want to hitch ourselves to your fatherhood. Let me just tell you a story real quick here before I let you go. Years ago, I was working at Teen Challenge, and uh, I was probably in my early 30s at the time, and I was sitting with a dear friend of mine, Bruce Overson, and uh, we were counseling this young man who had been through some real trauma. I don't even remember what it was, but it became very evident to me that this guy needed a dad. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment. He said, I want you to scoop him up in your arms and hold him like a father and give him a father's blessing. Now he was about probably less than 10 years younger than me. And I thought, Lord, that is awkward. You know, I'm too young. I said, Bruce could be his dad, you know. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce, he just kind of exudes fatherhood. Have Bruce do it. And the Lord rebuked me. He said, it's not about you, it's about my fatherhood through you. Now hug that young man and release the father's blessing to him. And so I did, and he just wept. God wants to release his fatherhood through you. And some of you, God wants to release his fatherhood through you on people who need a dad. 
Some of you, you're in the thick of fathering right now. You, your kids are all around your ankles. But some of you, you, you've already raised your kids, and I'm telling you, you've learned some skills that God wants to leverage for the kingdom. We got Bill Culver over here. You know how many people call him dad? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? He takes that very, very seriously. He's not done. He's leveraging his life to father the next generation in the kingdom. I want some of you to really perk your ears up and realize that what you have, others need. And there's something about, I, I thank God for the, the men and women that God put in my life to be mothers and fathers and just come alongside me and validate me and speak those words of encouragement when I didn't believe in myself and they would say something to me. I would think, man, if they said it, it must be true. They must see something in me because they carried weight because of what I saw in their life. You matter in the life of other people. Carry yourself like your father. And that goes for you ladies too. He is the great father. And his fatherhood through us can heal a generation and a nation. Amen? Father, we thank you, God, for each one of these. We bless them. Bill Culver, would you come up here and just release a father's blessing? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. By the authority of Jesus' name, I release your Father's Spirit to everyone in this place today. And I know full well what you have done in me and through me to these people. And I know what you're capable of doing to anyone that will do it. It takes an effort, I know that. But by the authority of Jesus' name, I release that to these people today. Give you all the honor, the praise, and the glory, and it will produce results. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. I, I ran into a young man in the hallway, a young dad, and I said, you're going to be pampered today? And he laughed, probably not. And I said, yeah, I know. I said, we gave that up when we got married and had kids, right? But that's what being a dad is. Amen? So guys, I was going to make a joke and say, wives, now rub your husband's feet and serve him a steak. But better yet, man, let's go home and serve our families. Amen? Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.